Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Geico of Mobile, the first podcast to bring you local fishing report for Alabama lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This week's sponsor is your local Geico of Mobile. Hey y'all, did y'all know Geico offered water service? That's right, it'll cover breakdowns, gas problems, all kind of stuff like that that we may run into on the water. Hey, and you can even bundle it with your existing boat insurance to save more. Call Ron Davis of Geico Mobile and get you a quote, 251-445-0053. That's Ron Davis at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash AL. I'm your host, Brian Sin. Welcome aboard today, guys. Our normal co-host, Stephen Wisdom, is out today, but but we're fortunate to have a really good guest uh, co-host on here, Norman Latona. What's up, Norman? Hey, how are you, Brian? Good to be I'm here. doing good, man. Appreciate you jumping on. Norman is the owner of Southeastern Pond Management. With that being said, we're actually starting... Today is our first day of a new series that we're going to be doing, and once a month, we're going to have Norman on here, and we're going to have a Pond Management Minute uh, that Norman will be on here with us. Uh, Man, we're really looking forward to that, Norman. We appreciate you doing this with us. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it as well. So much of what we do has a little bit of complexity to it. Sometimes it's hard to uh, explain it in uh, 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 you know, just in a 30 second advertisement or whatever. So we, we love the opportunity to get on and talk about fishing and ponds and pond management and certainly welcome any questions. No such thing as a bad question. Uh, we love talking about this stuff. That's right. Well, Norman, man, I, I know this is off topic a little bit, but are you relieved or are you sad that turkey season is now over? Because I know you've been wearing, you and your boys been wearing them out. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I am relieved a little bit. You know, you, you, your eyes pop open at 4.45 or 4.30 or whatever time you've been getting up and you got that little panic about you for a split second and you realize, oh man, I don't have to get up. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to make for a kinda, That'll only last for a few days and then I'll be that I'll be dying, count, start to count the days till next spring. Well, I'm telling you, man, there's no doubt about that. And, and, uh, I know I'm, I'm a little bit relieved. Um, this Turkey just, he just won hats off. I mean, the turkeys right. won <laughs> this year with me and I, I hunted probably harder and more this year than I've turkey hunted in a long time. And, uh, man had a lot of opportunities and, and, and saw, saw bird get shot with people with me but uh man i had a lot of opportunities I just couldn't close the deal it was just a weird year for me but i had a lot of fun it was a beautiful spring yeah it sure was maybe the prettiest weather spring uh i know we had some terrible weather uh, uh prayers go out to all those folks that dealt with that uh but but other than those couple of rough weather events boy it was a beautiful spring i mean just cool and and gorgeous uh, maybe the prettiest one I can remember ever. Yeah, I would agree with that. It w- it really was, man. We were very fortunate in that. Well, guys, like I said, we're excited about this segment, Pond Management Minute. And uh, like I said, Norman's going to be on here once a month. So I know you guys look forward to that. So let's go ahead and get started with that. And And one thing that we see a lot of questions about from you guys are fishing lakes and ponds. And you're catching lots of small bass. Never seem to catch any big fish. It's just those, a lot of 10 to 14 inch skinny fish. Norman, talk to us a little bit about that scenario. Because I know if we're saying that, then you're you're hearing that a lot, I'm sure, all the time. Yeah, no doubt about it, Brian. We, I, In fact, I would say that, and that's what we refer to that as bass crowded or predator crowded. And that is probably the most common out-of-balance condition that we run into. In fact, certainly is the most common. We see it all the time. And it's kind of characterized by lots of 10 to 14-inch bass. They tend to be skinny. In a lot of cases, they're fairly abundant. You know, they're, they're, they're maybe even easy to catch. But it gets frustrating when that's all you catch. So we see it a lot. We we deal we address it a lot. Some of the remedies are fairly straightforward and simple and pretty intuitive. 
the bottom line is, uh, as the name would indicate, bass crowded, predator crowded. There's too many bass, too many predators in the lake, in the pond. And, uh, you know, they can't go anywhere. So it's a high fence, right? They're confined there. So they're sort of forced to, to live and, and deal with what's there in terms of food. And the fact of the matter is there's just too many of them. And so being the cold-blooded animals they are, they respond to that by growing at a really slow rate. So some of these 10, 12, 14-inch bass that folks might look at, you know, we always hear the term yearling. You know, that's a yearling bass. Well, the, the truth of the matter is some of those fish are, are not yearlings. In fact, they may be six, seven, eight years old. Uh, they're just gl- growing at a very, very slow rate. And every year that, they, that they're around and don't grow, they've lost another year of growth potential. And so the remedy is you got to take a bunch of them out. And there are a handful of ways to do that from the obvious to maybe ways that folks haven't thought of. But the bottom line is they have to come out to make the lake productive again. So this is a problem that comes with the age of a pond, uh, I'm assuming. And I'm, I'm jumping into, you know, but uh, assumptions get you in trouble, I know. But I'm assuming this is this is something you see with ponds that are, I don't know, what, what 8, 9, 10, 12, 15 years old? It's sometimes even earlier than that. And uh, we found over the years that we can manipulate the initial stocking approach, the the ratio of bass to to forage that we initially stock, and we can mitigate some of the damage or some of the problem using some creative stocking strategies. But ultimately, bass produce a surplus. And at the end of the day, these things, I had a fisheries professor at Auburn back in back in the day that used to refer to bass as the as the saber-toothed tiger of the 21st century. I mean, largemouth bass are voracious predators, and it left to their own devices. They essentially eat themselves out of house and home. There's very few uh, forage species that are capable of keeping up with their appetites. And so ultimately, they produce a surplus. And that surplus, in order to keep a lake in balance, and everybody's sort of heard that term, you know, my fish population's in balance or out of balance. Well, one of those imbalanced conditions is what we refer to as bass crowded or predator crowded. So in order to address that concern in virtually every situation, removing, physically removing uh, some of those predators, in some cases, up to 30 or 40 pounds per acre per year is wow. necessary. To keep them in balance so it's it can be a daunting challenge you're, you know when you got a 20 30 acre lake you know that can approach a thousand pounds of bass per year uh, it, it can be a challenge and like i said we have a couple of creative ways that we approach it when folks simply can't handle it with hook and line that leads me to a question you know i've got a good friend of mine actually with my roommate in auburn played baseball together and he went on and had a good career with cincinnati reds and has moved back to Auburn and has a, a, a beautiful, larger, you know, 20 acre lake. The, he knows that he has to take a certain number of fish out of that lake every year to control it. But it's him and maybe a buddy or him and his son or his son and a, and a buddy. And when you're talking about a 20, 30 acre lake, 15, even a 10 acre lake, it's hard for one or two people to keep up with that as far as the numbers that you need to catch. I mean, you'd have to spend a lot of time on the water to catch that kind of poundage out of there a year. But it's one of those things where he doesn't want to open it up, you know, to too many people. So it's kind of it's kind of a catch-22, right? It is, yeah. But you guys have an answer for that, and I think it's, and I think it's the logical thing to do. I mean, what do you do when you come in a lake and, and see that it's overcrowded? Yeah, we, we run into that a lot, particularly in larger lakes. You know, when you get up, up bigger than 10 or, or 15 acres, and, and we we deal with somebody's water that are quite a bit larger than that. And the, the, the harvest challenge, the, the it becomes very difficult. And so hook and line is a great approach, uh, depending on how much fishing goes on. And seasonally, it can be, it can be effective. We, we tend to kind of look at and harvest in terms of how many pounds per hour can we remove 
in that target range. I mean, obviously, we don't want to take seven, eight, nine pound fish out. I mean, those are the fish that we're trying to produce. We focus on those smaller fish. So if you want to look at it at about a pound average per fish, if you've got to take a thousand pounds of fish out, you got to catch a thousand bass. You have to remove a thousand bass and, and that can be difficult. So we utilize electrofishing. You know, seasonally hook and line harvest can be productive. Uh, it's not unusual in the, in the, in the springtime, you know, even in the fall to be able to go out and catch 30, 40, 50 pounds of bass per hour, you know, hook and line with a couple of guys in a boat on a good fishing day. And you can, you can do some damage in a couple, three hours, but more often than not, that's not going to be the case. And so we utilize electrofishing sort of the same way that you would use a rod and reel. And we can be very selective. It doesn't hurt the fish. It just stuns them. And we can pick and choose which fish we take out. Uh, so in that respect, it's, it's probably even a better approach than hook and line. And, you know, we don't damage anything that we, that we don't want to remove. And the other part of it that we talk a lot about is, you know, it's a little bit counterintuitive to use hook and line to remove, say, you know, your 30 or 40 pounds of fish per acre. There's folks that suggest, and there's some research that, that tends to support this, that you're, you're removing the more aggressive fish because you're removing the ones that are more apt to bite artificial lures. Those are kind of the ones that you want to leave in the lake in a way, you know, you'd like those aggressive fish uh, to stay in the lake. We, we've got a rule on, it, on the lake. I fish all the time. Uh, if we catch you on a topwater plug, I don't care how big you are, you get released back in the lake because I want those fish that'll bite topwater plugs in the water. Those are the fish I want to target. So electrofishing doesn't really discriminate. It, it removes fish, not just the aggressive fish, not just the fish that don't tend to be aggressive, but we just select based on size. And certain times of the year when fish are accessible, tend to be in the, in the shallower areas, we can be really productive. And we, we can remove upwards of 75, sometimes even more pounds per hour, 100 pounds plus per hour with wow. electrofishing. We'll come in and do a two or three hour session. And, you know, in a matter of a couple, three hours, we can remove two or 300 pounds of fish. And, you know, you do that a couple of times over the course of the year and, and, and you're close to your harvest quota. Yeah, that's that's a whole lot better than trying to do it with a rod and reel for sure. I mean, it's, it's a smart way to manage your time on that. How When you're doing the electro, is there a certain time of year that's better than the others? And I guess what I'm thinking of is, is a lot of time your bass in the summertime may move to deep water when it's getting really warm, water temperature's up. Uh, is this something that you need to kind of focus spring and fall? Well, we, we, we've got kind of gotten smart over the years and as we gain experience with it. So it's certainly easier to, uh, to, to, to shock fish. It's more efficient in terms of the number of pounds that you can roll up when they're in shallower water. And so obviously the springtime, as the water's just warming, the bass are up in the shallows and they're, they're, they're spawning and post just immediately post-spawn. And, and in the summer, like you said, they tend to move out deeper, which makes it a little more challenging. So we tend to do more of that in the summertime at, at night. You know, we'll go out 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night and hit it for two or three hours. A lot of times, you know, as you know, the bass will move up uh, into the shallower areas to feed. They may wait to do that when it's cooler and, and which is at night. And so we, we hit them at night, you know, we got some big lights on the boats and, and can, and can be effective. And, and so summertime, we tend to do it more in the late afternoon, evening, even into the nighttime and in the spring and summer we, or in the spring and fall, we get away with, with doing it a little more during the day. Dang. Good stuff, man. Well, that makes total sense. Hey, so, if somebody's questioning, okay, do I have a do I have a, a you know a overcrowded problem? How do they know? I mean, we go out, we catch a bunch of small fish. We're not catching any big fish. A lot of times, you you hear people talk about, well, they got big heads and a slender body, and just don't seem that healthy. Is that one of the signs? I mean, can a man look at the kind of fish he's he's catching and go, okay, I got a problem? Yeah, generally speaking, and I, I would say you never want to just look at an individual fish or two. 
and and make a and make the the assumption. But over the course of a larger sample size, absolutely you can do that. I mean, we've all been there where you catch that that fish that's got that bucket mouth that's you know got that five pound head and he weighs a pound and a half or you, know, you look at a fish and say, golly, that fish ought to weigh six or seven pounds and he weighs two pounds. You know, when you see that regularly, uh, certainly that's a sign. Obviously, you know, lots of small fish, particularly in that eight, nine, ten, to about fourteen inch size range. Generally, they don't tend to be in excellent condition. They're not plump. You know, maybe a little bit of a sunken belly. Basically, what's happening is this. Okay, a ten or twelve inch bass can survive eating little bluegill fry uh, and 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 tiny stuff, but they're not going to grow a heck of a lot when they do that. I mean, it's kind of like a bowl of rice at the end of the driveway and you know you got to walk down there and eat one piece of rice and then walk back up the top of the driveway and walk back down and eat another piece i mean you might survive doing that but you're not gonna you're not gonna gain you're not gonna flourish right that's exactly right so those bass when they're forced to eat small forage like that they're just not gonna grow uh they tend to stunt in that 10 to 10 to 14 inch size range. And, 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 and in a lot of cases, in these bass crowded ponds, that's really all they can eat. Bass crowded lakes are, are characterized by small skinny bass and typically lots of large bluegill. When I say large, I mean, eight, nine, 10 inch bluegill, a 10 or 12 inch bass can't even, can't get their mouth around it eight or ten inch bluegill so they're forced to eat what they can get their mouth around which is the tiny stuff there's not a lot of intermediate size forage available and it sort of gets worse it's a snowball it's a it just sort of perpetuates because there's so many small bass the bluegill are spawning doing their job but before those bluegill get a chance to get up to that important intermediate size that three four five inch size where those 12 inch bass can actually benefit from them they all get eaten because there's so many small bass they all they crop off all those little bluegill before they get up to to that important intermediate size range so that so so you got to break that that chain you've got to come in there and whack those small bass remove a bunch of small bass and the forage population will then begin to flourish uh, well, we've seen it time and time again, and that makes total sense in the visual that you that, that you painted with a bowl of rice. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, if my 16 year old son wants to one day play linebacker for Alabama, he's got to pack on big meals to put on that kind of weight to grow, uh, without having to use a lot of energy to do it. So, like you said, if you're having to to run down the driveway and back up for something really small to eat, you're burning more calories than what you're receiving when you get there. But if you've got bigger forage in there where I don't have to work as hard and I can eat a bigger meal with less energy, now I'm packing on size. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And then the other thing that you add into the equation with bass is you got to realize these are cold-blooded animals they're in terms of bioenergetics they they function differently than a warm-blooded animal so a warm-blooded animal that's malnourished you know that there's there's not adequate food for the for that animal to to grow is probably going to deteriorate pretty rapidly and maybe ultimately even starve to death whereas a cold-blooded animal like a largemouth bass look, they don't know they're supposed to weigh five pounds when they're five years old or 10 pounds when they're eight years old, or, you know, they're, they're happy to eat what's there and they conserve energy. And we get this question all the time. Well, if I, if I add food to this lake and produce all this food, add redfin shad and, and add bluegill and, and, and increase the forage production in my lake, how the heck am I ever going to catch a fish? They're going to have so much to eat that they're not going to want to bite my hook. But the opposite is actually true because these are cold-blooded animals. So what they tend to do, what a bass tends to do, is the more abundant the food, the more frequently they feed. The less abundant, the opposite's true. So a largemouth bass that is in an environment where there's very limited forage, where there's not optimal food available, they're content to just hunker down in a brush top or on a, or on a stump and sit there for hours or days 
or longer mm. and wait for something to swim in front of them. They're instinctively not going to utilize energy chasing around food that's not optimal. And so that's what they do. And that's how bass end up being 13, 14 inches long and they're six, seven years of age. They have just kind of shut it down. They conserve their energy. They feed when the opportunity provides itself. And otherwise, they don't. Whereas you put a bass in a lake that's full of food, really dynamic forage base, they're feeding all the time. So even though you might say, well, that fish is, would be full. Why would it eat my lure? The reality is the opposite's true. They, they, they feed more aggressively. They're more apt to bite. And we see that time and time and time again. Uh, bass that are in lakes with plenty of food are easier to catch. So it's a win-win. Oh, that's nice, man. That's good stuff. Well, guys, if you have too many small bass in your pond, if you're seeing those skinny, unhealthy-looking fish, sounds like the answer is electrofishing. I mean, you can do it with a rod and reel, but it's going to take a lot of hours and a lot of time, but it can be fixed. That's the good thing. And if you have that and you want to fit and you want to fix that problem, Norman, how, how do they get a hold of you? They can visit our website, certainly. There's some links where they can contact us, fill out a form if they want to go that route at, at sepond.com. Certainly uh, happy to, to take any phone calls, give my cell phone number, and anybody can reach me that way or text message me. And that number is 205-288-1371. So be happy to talk with anybody and, and, and see if we can come up with a, with a way to help them. Good stuff. And like I said, guys, we're going to have Norman on here once a month. So if you got a question about your pond uh, or just a general question for Norman, email me at alabamafreshwater at bestfishingreport.com. All right, Norman, we appreciate that, man. Great first segment. Hope you guys got a lot out of that. And we're going to get ready to go to our next caller. All right, guys, for segment two today, we're coming at you from the Tennessee River with Alex Davis on Lake Gunnerful. What's going on, Alex? How are y'all doing? I'm doing good. Good, man. We're doing good. It's a little bit windy out there today, though. Can't it be a tough day on the lake. Glad. I had a trip this morning, and we kind of talked each other out of it. We're going to go next week. Well, I think either one of us felt like dealing with 30-mile-an-hour winds today. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, a good, sounds like a good time to punt. Man, I know you've been fishing a lot up there. What's going on on Gunnersville? Well, there's actually a shad spawn going on. It's been going on for like a week and a half. It kind of, it happens and then it'll get cold and it doesn't happen. But finally, kind of getting going real good. I've never seen it last this long. I don't know if the, I mean, the shad are spawning. They're following the baits in until probably nine o'clock, which is kind of rare. But even when it ends, it's like the fish are still on it. I mean, you're, you're catching on reaction baits up until... 12 31 o'clock so it's it's making some of the funnest fishing i've been in on in a while wow that would be fun now when you're you reaction bait you tell them what you what are you throwing uh throwing a, mainly a, a jackal spinner bait and then their uh, jackal has a little square bill it dives a little deeper than most square bills so it's kind of touching the, the top of the eelgrass fishing like humps and big flats of it so mainly just throwing a, a spinner bait and a square bill that's about as fun that's a fun way to catch fish right there yeah, no, that's probably my favorite way to catch them, so I, I'm enjoying it. So I'm curious, you talked about the shad spawn, and, uh, of course, we're seeing that in, in the ponds, too, this time of the year, and, and uh, they're actively spawning and have been for a little while. In, in ponds, particularly the ones that we keep the, the fertility level high, uh, we see shad, threatened shad, spawning all through the summer, into the fall. I've even seen them spawn in the wintertime. Uh, in December and January. It's kind of crazy. Do you, do you guys see that sort of thing like out on Lake Gunnersville or is it mostly just a one time a year phenomenon? To me, I only see it one time a year as far as the big phenomenon where they're following your base in and you know, you can tell what's going on. They're, they're in tops of little grass patches, but you'll notice it throughout the fall. You'll see sometimes shad following your bait in. I don't know if they're, I never knew if they were spawning or, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, there's a week where I got in one place and they just kind of was more active, I guess you can call it. So really, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I've seen them do it more, but never the phenomenon like there is now. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, so you're fishing the, the spinnerbait 
the fish, I'm assuming they're uh, they're done spawning, right? There's actually some that haven't even spawned, I believe. That's good. We've had a really we've had a really goofy year. I mean, I've caught some free spawners last week, and then if you go up real shallow and sell plastics, you're catching some, and then you can fish out deeper and you're catching post spawners. So I think we have a little bit of everything, just mainly because. The water temperature early last week after that cold front was back at 58, 59. So I think we just have fish in all phases. They, they don't even know what to do at this point. Yeah, that the, this weather's got jacked up right now. And, I mean, now we're back down. You know, we've had some good 80-degree, 85-degree days. Now we're back down to, I think it's high 70, 71, 72. The next couple of days, going to get back down in the 40s. Will that push fish back uh, maybe a little shallower again, or how does that affect them? Well, I mean, this is kind of something that I've never really dealt with on Gunnersville before. So, I mean, to me, it's, it, it hurts the shad spawn more than anything. It seems like it just does those cool nights kind of knock them back a little, which does two things. It just extends it, you know, a few more days later instead of them getting done so quick. So I think it more or less just kind of hurts the activity level of the fish. I don't think it's going to make fish hurry up and spawn or, you know, if they're up there spawning, it's not going to make them leave. I think it just kind of just pauses everything for a few days. Right. I know you've been guiding a lot uh, last few days, last week or so. Are y'all catching a good number of fish? We've had, I think the worst day we had was in a full day. I've had some half day trips in the afternoon and you're just kind of dealing with fish that their activity level is not real high. They fed all morning. Um, but the first, the worst morning trip I had is yesterday. We caught 32, but that's not bad. That's a good day. And you're looking at, <laughs> a couple, we had a couple of days over 50, you know, 55, 60 fish days. So morning's definitely better than afternoon right now. Size wise has been good. I think we had uh, caught one over seven yesterday, caught one over seven on Friday, caught one over five on Saturday on a trip. So about every trip we've had, you know, a five or a six or a seven pounder. So that's always nice. Norman, I think we need to be going to Gunnersville. Isn't that the truth? That, 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 uh, that sounds, like, sounds like pond fishing to me. That sounds really nice. <laughs> Alex, are you guys, uh, with all those big fish up in Gunnersville and all that shallow, the shallow water and the vegetation, obviously legendary, do you find yourself, or I, I know when I'm fishing on ponds, sometimes I know I can catch them a little better on a spinnerbait or a square bill or, or plastics, but I, but I want to make them by the topwater bait. Can you make those fish by the topwater bait out there at Gunnersville? I mean, I know a lot of people throw them, but uh, can, can you sort of force the issue with them and just make them do it, or do you have to kind of fit your, your lure to the conditions? I think you can force them to do it. You're just not going to have as many bites. I did it last week. They was actually busting on Chad in the morning, and you could catch them on a spinnerbait and a, a chatterbait and a squarebill pretty regularly. And when I picked up the topwater, you would still get bites, but it wasn't the consistent. Like, there was a few times where someone in the boat had a bite every other cast for about an hour. I mean, it might not, you know, it might not be you, but <laughs> someone in the boat was like, oh, there's one. Oh, I lost one. When you threw the top water, it seemed like it was like one every 10 minutes where it worked sure. it's just to the point where you're thinking, I'm just, I'm not having as much fun as I could have. So I'm putting this thing down. What, what's your theory with top water fishing? Just curious. You think those fish, obviously they're more aggressive fish. Like you said, you, you get le less bites per, per hour or whatever. And, and, and it makes sense to me that, that you're targeting, you know, when you're top water fishing, you're targeting the more aggressive fish. But do you think those fish that hit that top water are feeding? Or are they are they just mad at it? You know, are they just trying to kill it? Is it just something they're being territorial? Or is it just a little bit of everything or maybe changes from one day to the other? I honestly think it's it's just the mood of the fish because every year it seems like we have a really good ledge or we have a really good top water bite every year. But every year it's at a different time. Like sometimes it's right when the fish get done spawning. And then I've seen it where it's more like, you know, late June. And then sometimes it's year more late August. And I really, I don't know if it has something to do with the shad, just the way the shad or, you know, the way the shad group up. Or honestly, I can't answer the question. It just seems like it's more of a trial and error. Well, I I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a quick, quick story about matching, sort of matching the hatch, uh, if, if you want to uh, call it that. But we stock a lot of crawfish into lakes in the springtime, this time of the year, uh, for forage. And uh, crawfish are just great, great bass food. You know, it's a big bite of food. 
uh, pretty easy for them to catch. But it is amazing to me, about a week or two after we stock crawfish into a lake, uh, you, those fish turn on to those, those square bills and even jigs like nobody's business. You, you throw a little square bill crankbait, in those areas where you introduce those, those crawfish, and there is no question that they are they are conditioned. They're honed in on on crawfish, you know, and anything yeah. that imitates a crawfish, uh, they are going to gulp it, you know. So there's no doubt in my mind that things like shad spawns and uh, have a real impact on on the type of lures you, that are most effective. You know, they they get accustomed to feeding something, and you mimic that, and boy, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. Fish are weird, but when they go from uh, like shad to bluegills, you can, you know, the baits change and you can tell instantly because they quit, they quit hitting one thing and they all of a sudden you change and they'll hit another. They, once they figure out they're going to eat something, I think they're, they get so tuned in on it. If, if you ain't doing it, you're just kind of behind the eight ball. They're targeting. Yes. Absolutely. Well, and right now is shad spawn time. And so when you're going out, what's your technique right now? I mean, are you going, how, you're looking shallow water, 10 foot of water. And where are you kind of focusing when you're catching these 30, 40, 50 fish days? Um, mostly it's either on big flats that have eelgrass or humps that have eelgrass. It's all eelgrass related or millfoil. We don't have a lot of millfoil right now. We've got more eelgrass than anything. And the main thing is you just cover a bunch of water. You might fish for 150 yards and never have a bite. And then you'll hit a little patch where you can power pull down and catch six or seven or 10 or 12 and you never move the boat and then you they kind of slow down then you keep moving and you might fish for a while nothing then you'll hit like six or seven so the numbers are coming in waves it's not a steady every 10 minutes all day long it's like it's like a bunch of flurries throughout the day and most of it's all shallow four to six foot that seems about the best depth it seems like where the shad are the most and just covering a lot of water it's really not a spot specific thing as much as it is just fishing area and cover a lot of water and I, I think you have to catch one there's it's like there's so many fish right now that you'll have to catch one you just don't know where it's going to be right and when you catch that one just kind of start focusing on what they're doing in that kind of area and and may catch some more behind it yeah once you once you catch one you're going to catch more so that's kind of the beauty it's never it doesn't seem it's random but when it's ra- it's not random as far as numbers it's random as far as you don't really know exactly where you're going to catch one but when you catch one there's a whole little school there so that makes it fun good yeah that is fun well alex tip of the day somebody's coming up to gunnerville maybe tomorrow or the next day when there's 30 mile an hour wind quits what's the tip of the day that you're going to bring us i'm going to say put something natural in your hand either it either a square bill or spinner bait and just cover a bunch of water stress that enough right now covered water is pretty much the, the name of the game I, I see people that get in one area and just want to stay there i think you can double someone's catch just by moving which is usually not the case but right now it is and that's a fun way to fish so we appreciate that guys the tip of the day today is brought to you by great days outdoors great days outdoors magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the mason dixon become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com all right alex we appreciate that tip man we appreciate the report that you brought us today it sounds like you are absolutely on the fish up there so if somebody wants to come get in the boat with you and catch 30 40 50 fish have a chance at those seven pounders how they get in touch with you alex uh, you can call me anytime at my phone number 256-298-1178 or you can get uh, my internet my website spinnerbaitkid.com email spinnerbaitkid at gmail.com lots of ways you can get in contact with me. well good deal well we appreciate it man keep catching the fish we look forward to having you back on again real soon be safe out there guys give alex a call and uh and let him put you on the fishing gunnerful thanks alex thank you all right buddy talk to you soon all right norman that was a that was a really good report by alex we appreciate him getting on and i'm gonna be honest with you i've been looking forward to this next segment and this next guest because it's something we we don't see every day and this guy he can do it so Coosa River Report, Giant Stripes with David Hare on Lake Martin. David, man, welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Yes, sir. How are you? 
We're doing good, man. Glad we can get you on here. Yes, sir. And we're on the Tallapoosa, not the Coosa. I did that completely wrong, so thank you for that. Straight <laughs> me out, man. Yes, yes sir. Where everybody gets everything confused. Coastal Reveries, you got Logan Martin and then Tallapoosa Lake Martin. That's so, right. Uh, well, talk to us, man. T- tell us about the strike fishing on, on Lake Martin and Tallapoosa River. We're right here in Ellis City. You know, uh, everybody considers Lake Martin to be in Ellis City. Of course, we're surrounded by several towns. We're we're on three we got three counties on this lake 800 miles of shoreline 44,000 acres and these striper yeah and these stripers roam from one end to the other and uh we fish several different ways for them just as the seasons change we change the way we approach them you know uh but right right now, you know, in May, we're, we're still on the spring bite. Just like the last several days, we've been uh, catching them on top early in the morning. And then by about 9 or 10 o'clock, we're catching them 40 and 50 deep, feet deep. So uh, we've had some awesome trips this year. Of course, we missed the whole month of April, you know, because we did what we were asked to do. And we shut down for 27 days and started back May the 1st. And uh, so we, April is an awesome month. But anyway, that's nothing we could do about that. No, so, uh, no, absolutely. And it's made it, it made it difficult for a lot of people, for especially in your industry, uh, with guiding. And, and, and man, it's, it's, we're, hopefully this thing's about to wind down and, and we can all get back to some kind of normal but, you know, when you're like these last several days that you've been out, I've never striped fished before. So this is something I got to come down and do with you. You got, you got I, to come do that. I have got to come do that. I noodle catfish, I bass fish, I crappie fish, but I've never striped fish. So I'm excited about learning about this. But what kind of numbers are you catching right now? And, and kind of talk about the numbers and the size uh, that you're catching, and then and then maybe elaborate just a little bit on on how you're catching. I know you're going top water, and and then you're going to 40, 50 foot deep. So I'm gonna sit back and just uh, and and listen, man. The warmer it gets in the mornings, uh, the earlier we try to go. Now we're trying to leave uh, the marina at daylight, and uh, the first two to three hours of daylight you have a real good opportunity of of getting i'm talking about a a monster trophy uh on top water whether it's a top water live bait bite you know with planer boards and the and the baits are staying up on top or if it's casting stuff like zara spooks or red fins to them uh mm. Our biggest fish in uh, 2019 uh, was 47 pounds, and it came off of a red fin on a spinning rod. So, so you know that. But right now, uh, we're catching a, a lot of numbers most days, and, and we are doing that by fishing on top early and then switching over and, and doing what we call downlining. Uh, we're dropping live bait right on top of them out in the deeper water, and you know, 50 to 60 foot deep. and trying to find them suspended around four, you know, in the water column about 40 feet deep and dropping live bait down on them and uh, just trying to hover over that school. The fish we're catching are uh, the last several days have been six to 24 pounds and everything in between. You know, some some days the the boats are getting eight to 10 fish per day. Yesterday, my boat got Yesterday, let's see, yesterday we got 15, today we got 11, and uh, I missed a lot of fish today. Uh, had the opportunity to put a lot of fish in the boat, but uh, we had some pull-offs and one break-off today, uh, but, you know, that's just part of it. But David, but, uh, you guys are using your electronics, obviously, right, to locate these fish. I mean, you're not just... Just, it's not just random. You're, you're, you're going to these areas and you're actually seeing these fish, marking them on your electronics and targeting specific fish and schools of fish. Is that is that correct? Uh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you'd just be fishing blind if you didn't have good electronics out here. And I hate 
my mother and daddy caught fish their their whole life without electronics but today's uh I mean, it's it's a whole different game. I mean, these these fish move on you so much. These stripers, especially. I mean, if you don't have good electronics, especially in the deeper water, I mean, you can forget it. I mean, because you're gonna fish a lot of dead water when you got forty four thousand acres to cover. There's a lot of what we call non-productive dead water. I mean, it's just a you know you might graph in there, but then you got to move on. You know. Well. Uh, and that, you know, my question on that is, and I was going to ask the same thing, Norman, because I, I know you've got to use your electronics on that lake to do what you're doing at that depth. But if I go out there, if me and Norman decide to go stripe fishing in the morning, it's 44,000 acres. It's, right. a, it's one of the largest bodies of lake in the of, of water in the country. There's got to be a starting point where I'm looking before I ever even turn on the graph and start looking. What am if I go out there and do that? What am I looking for to start with to target and then get my electronics involved? Okay, I mean there's several things you want to look for, but and again everything's seasonal you know you change with every season but let's just talk about a springtime bite springtime bite and i'm con- and i'm considering this you know still spring you're gonna look in some real i'm talking about big creeks i'm not talking about ditches now i'm talking about you know you want to you want to focus on some big creeks you got to focus on some clear water you got to focus on some moving water and of course you're gonna have some moving water in the creeks uh you want to this time of year is real good for the river bite uh, you know all the way up to the shoals they're not like bass they don't they don't like sandy silty water if the water is clouding up or getting dirty you got to go somewhere else but that's where you're going to find your shallow fish your your fish that are getting ready to spawn as far as these stripers as the creeks the rivers the mouth of creeks if you're out on the if you're out on the main lake, uh, I tell everybody, you know, get on real long points, points that just run out forever. And early in the mornings, they're going to be up on top of these points, up in the shallower part of the points. And then as the sun gets out and the morning gets later, they're going to move out to the drop off. That's good. Stuff. It's almost a little bit the the. The, the striper fishing, and, and it's been a few years since I did much of it, but I, I remember that when I did it a lot, David, it's it's a, it's almost like part fishing and part hunting. It, it's kind of a different feel for fishing. It's it, and it's appealing from that standpoint. It's uh, it's almost got a little bit of a hunting feel to it, doesn't it? It's no doubt. Like I say, the these stripers are constantly moving, and you're right. You're it is a hunting game, and and that's where the electronics come in. You know, when you're out in the deeper water, uh, you're going to be looking for big balls of bait or some single herring. And w- when you find bait, if you uh, look, you know, it's not everywhere bait's at, but you got to have bait to have the fish there. So the first thing you want to want to try to find is the bait. And if you find the bait, and I'm just using this figure it might be right might not it's my figure okay 70 percent of the time if you find bait there's going to be some stripers around and so you just you just got to just keep grabbing and keep grabbing until you find them man what's the tell me about the the bait game down there Mm -hmm. i understand it it's a big part of the fishing uh, down there on Lake Martin, isn't it? That's a big challenge to, to have bait. And I, I understand there's been some changes in some of the regulations and stuff. So is that is that made it tougher or, you know, walk, walk us through how you apply your, yourself and your customers with bait, David. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, our, our major uh, source of bait is gizzard shad and thread fin. There's a lot of thread fin in the lake, of course. They're caught with cast nets. We go through a lot of bait, but but the major, a couple of major changes have been, been uh, you know, we used to could catch bait at where we wanted to and come in here. And when I say bait, I'm talking about shad and come in here and fish with them. Now uh, you cannot use bait. You cannot transport bait 
from one Alabama waterway to another Alabama waterway. Hmm. In other words, you've got to catch it and fish with it on that same body of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can buy it from a licensed bait dealer. And that's very, very hard to find as a licensed bait dealer. You know, it's not like Lake Lanier and some of the other lakes where you got, you know, shad or herring bait shops all around the lake because we don't. So, so you got to fish with whatever you can come up with. Of course, we always have live bait, and and uh, I'm not at liberty to, you know, say say where we catch them and what all. We do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't blame you. But Great that's, secret. That's, that's that is one reason we get so many trips because you know I'm set up with with a big bait building and and uh, can hold a lot of bait and all that good mm-hmm. stuff, but. So, so that uh, we we've adjusted to that new law, and we definitely understand because the reason that law was changed, they do not want the Asian carp in any mm-hmm. Alabama waterway, and mm-hmm. they were scared that somebody was going to mess around and catch some Asian carp because they looked a lot like a, a shad when, uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially a thread fin when they're little. So, mm-hmm. so that was the reason. That was the reason behind that rule change, and we all understand we were not upset with anybody about it as far as the reason it was done. We were upset because we were tr- we were scratching our head, you know, okay, this is going to be a lot harder than it used to be. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, not, but nothing's easy. We got, we got it worked out, and, and everything's good. But the, the next change is, now you can legally fish with blueback herring on Lake okay. Martin and uh, got to catch them here, but you can definitely use them. They've been in the lake for years and years and years, but it's always been a law. You could not fish with them. And, you know, we're, we're thinking that's going to be a game changer for us because not only have the bass and the crappie and everything else started feeding on the herring, the stripers, I mean, that's filet mignon to them, uh, mm-hmm. are, these, are these herring. And so the bass fishing and the striper fishing has changed a lot with the herring being in the lake. You find a lot of these fish out in deeper water a lot around, you know, around the whole calendar year because that's where the herring are. They're out there in that deeper water. So we're excited about being able to use the herring in all this, and and we have used some uh, since the law's been changed, and it's it's really improved the catch ratio. Well, what size bait are you using? I mean, I know big fish, big bait. I mean, what 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 size are you you trying to find? Well, you know, we we would love to have from four inch to ten inch bait, but but uh, this time of year, a lot of these fish are feeding on on stuff as small as two inches. So, you know, if you've got some two, three, four inch uh, bait, you know, I mean, you can catch a big fish on it. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we got one today, 15 pounds, and, and it was on a probably, I believe, a two inch uh, gizzard shad. It was a real small shad. I put a variety of sizes out there, and uh, I match my hooks to the size bait that I use. And you can get a great big fish in on a small bait and a small hook just as well as as he. If, if that's what he's targeting today, is small bait, then that's what he's going to hit. Tomorrow, if he's thinking, hey, I, I don't want to go to all that trouble eating a thousand little bitty newborn shad i i want to find me something big then he's gonna find one of those great big gizzard shads you got out there so david i understand you took a good buddy of mine dan moultrie out fishing uh here recently did you teach dan how to hold his mouth right teach him how to catch a striper that man was so excited he is he is hooked on striper fishing now he he's got he's got a, he's got something else to take his time up 
Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is. He is so excited. He's one of the. I mean, all of our clients are nice. We got some great clients. We got repeat clients for years and years and years. But I tell you, I met Dan several months ago, and he's just one of those you can't get enough of. I mean, he he's got yeah. so much knowledge and he and so many stories. I mean, it, it's just very. <laughs> He's a very interesting person to be around. Yeah, that's great. He awesome. is a good, good guy, and a good friend, and been, been big in in the hunting and fishing industry in Alabama. Done a lot of good things. He has served on the as a chairman of the conservation advisory board for many years, and has just done a whole heck of a lot to, to help hunt and grow hunting and fishing in in Alabama. That's for sure. No doubt about that. Well, man, we really, really appreciate you being on here with us today, David. And, and man, we look forward to having having you back again soon. One thing we like to do with every guest we have on is is we want to have a tip of the day. And today's tip of the day is going to be brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Guys, this is a social media network, kind of a mix between Facebook and Instagram, but it's for outdoorsmen. It's for people who love to hunt, love to fish camp hike whatever you do outdoors this is for you it's a free app you can download it on uh on google play on the app store if you get on there download it i think you're going to enjoy it and give it a try so with that being said tip of the day from the talapusa river stripe fishing with david hare david what's your tip my tip is the lighter the monofilament line that you can use the more fish you're going to put in the boat don't think you got to have 20 pound test line to catch a 20 plus pound fish lighten that line up back off on that drag get more bites and put more fish in the boat that is a good tip all right david we appreciate that tip man that's that's great information uh i am looking forward to getting down there and getting on lake martin with you and guys if you want to go to lake martin and and target these these striped bass and obviously some giant striped bass uh to go along with that then david man what do do you guys need to do how can they reach you and book a trip all right the best way to get me is either call and or tech and that number is two five six four zero one three zero eight nine and if you didn't get a chance to write that down or of course if you forget it or whatever uh it's Elliott city guide service lake martin on on facebook it's Elliott city guide service uh dot com on a website but if you just google david Hare or google strike fishing on lake martin uh you know i'm gonna pop up or Elliott city guide service is gonna pop up so so uh, i'm easy to get a hold of i'm good about returning my calls and uh, I sure appreciate y'all having me on today and uh, look forward to having you come down fish with me. Well, we're going to plan on it. I don't, I don't believe you'll have to twist me and Norman's arm too hard to get us to do that. Right, Norman? Absolutely not. No way. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a fun time and we'll take you up on it. All right, man. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your tips and all the information you give us. And uh, we look forward to having you back on soon, man. Good luck fishing and stay safe on the water. Thank y'all very much. Good talking with y'all. Good talking to you. Take care. Like I'd said, Norman, that was a that was a segment that I'd kind of been looking forward to because of these these giant stripes. It's just an interesting deal to me. It's something I've never done. So, uh, man, it was great to have David on and. We got to get down there to Lake Martin and do some stripe fishing, brother. Tell me about it. Sounds like fun. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. Well, let's jump on yeah. into segment four today, and uh, we're going to be coming to you from from Lake Eufaula with Clayton Bats today. And uh, had Clayton on before. He's a great guest. What's going on? Oh, not much. Just sitting out here looking at bluebird skies and watching the wind blow the trees around. About thirty miles an hour. That's all. Yeah, it's a little windy today. It kind of put a damper in our plans. We were able to fish a little bit this morning, and then pretty much this afternoon we had to come back up north, and we've been dodging the wind all day. Mm, goodness gracious, man. Well, tell us about the fishing. I know you've been out there about every day lately, so what's going on in Eufaula right now? What are the bass doing? Uh, we finally are getting the water. It's starting to clear up. It's starting to warm up. Right now I'm looking at it, and it's 76 degrees, and it's fluctuating 76 to 78 
So they're starting to finally make their move offshore. Uh, we've been catching some real good ones lately. I missed one over eight yesterday, and our biggest one today is uh, probably a six and a half. Uh, as soon as that water jumps up about another four degrees, it, they're going to be out there, and it's going to be on. Somebody's standing out in the wind right now, it sounds like. I'm, I'm on a trip right now. I hear you. Well, how are you catching the fish right now? Uh, right now, offshore, the main offshore bite, it's uh, shallower ledges, 10 to 12-foot ledges, and brush piles. Uh, catching them dragging a jig on the hard spot. And I came out with a, uh, a swim jig for strike zone lures a couple years ago that's mainly designed for fishing the brush piles over here. And that's what we've been catching uh, once on the brush piles. It's called a sling blade. It's a three-quarter ounce swim jig, and it's actually got a blade on the bottom of it that hangs down. off of. Everybody's familiar with a ledge buster. That's what strike zone is known for. It's got a ledge buster wire coming out from under the head, and it helps it climb over those piles a little better. Cool deal. Well, are y'all catching a lot of fish right now? It sounds like you're catching some quality, but are y'all catching some good numbers? We probably caught we caught over 20 today. I mean, which is a pretty good day considering we got bluebird skies and 20 mile an hour winds. But that's been about our average is about 20. Now I can go get on some do some different stuff like for clients that they just really want to go catch a bunch of fish. I can go out and drag some different stuff, and you can get into numbers. But as far as catching those bigger fish. That swim bait and stuff like that, your numbers are going to go down, but your quality is going to go way up. That's good stuff. Well, um, what, what are you focusing on as far as water depth? Uh, are you are the fish through spawning down there in fall? Are they moving back up? Are they starting to school up, or is it still a little too warm for that? I mean, a little too cool. They're starting to make their move out right now, and what's helping it is the corpse, they drop the water level. Uh, the water, water level today is 188.5, and for that grass bite to be really good and like last all day, it needs to be over 189. So that's helping push them offshore along with the water temperature. Most fish right now, they're not fully out on the ledges. There are a couple out there. Uh, that 8 to 12-foot range, that's where they're at right now. But I look for them in the next two weeks or so, this water temperature. I know we got a front coming on the next couple of days. After that, I see the water temperature starting to climb back up. In the next week or two, they should be full blown on the ledges. That's awesome, man. That's that's uh, that gets fun too. But that grass bite's good too while you're on now. Uh, and so that swim bait, you're just basically looking for brush tops in six, eight, ten foot of water and dragging that swim jig uh, and swim baits through the brush pile. That's correct. And that bite will get better as the water clears up, too, because they're getting out there, and you'll miss some. I mean, they'll knock slack in the line, but they can't see it real good down there yet. But as that water starts to uh, clean up a little bit better, that bite is going to be strong. Good stuff. All right. Clayton, we were talking to Alex uh, earlier, and he's, he's fishing up on Gunnersville, and he was talking about how the threats in shad are, 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 are spawning pretty heavily right now. Uh, and how how important that can be as far as uh, you know fo- following the the spawns and, and targeting those areas where they're spawning and the, and the, and the bass sort of in on them. Do you, do you guys find that on Lake Eufaula? I mean, it sounds like you're more structure oriented right now. Do you, do you guys follow the bait around? I mean, obviously where there's bait, there's going to be bass. Is, is that something you guys do a lot there? Correct, 100%. The, like, the grass bite I was talking about earlier, it's 100 times better in the morning. And that's the main reason is because the shad spawn. And this year, we haven't had a great shad spawn. It's been a trickle. Last year, we had an incredible one. You'd pull up on certain areas, and they would be everywhere. You could just see them rolling on the bank and all that. Uh, My main deal is, and going back to the structure and stuff, I like finding an offshore shad spawn. Everybody thinks that they spawn up on the bank. Well, that that bite right there, it lasts. You know, the sun comes up, it hits it, it's through. If you find you an offshore shad spawn, it'll last on into the day, like 10.30 or so, and they'll still be sh- uh, spawning. That's How the ones that I like to fish just because I can run them. Uh, mainly on the offshore ones, they'll spawn in those brush piles, uh, and they'll get on, like, the shallow rocky bars, uh, the hard spots that are in, you know, four to six feet of water. And it's just it comes with just fishing a whole lot of them. But when you find one of them, I mean, you can get well quick, and it lasts a whole lot longer than ones on the bank. That's pretty interesting. And we were talking to when we were talking to Alex uh, about Gunner, he said the same thing about 
trickle this year and uh do you attribute that just to the weather you know just to the kind of cool spring we've had is that is that what you attribute that to do you see that you see that kind of thing happen some years i do i think it's the spring like remember a couple weeks ago it was all nice and warm and then we had a cold front blow in it got cold for a couple of days and then right after that we got a big system in where it rained a lot and muddied it up well Mm -hmm. during that time the water temperature was 74 to 75, and the shad were spawning good. We got that little cold front and that rain. It dropped our water temperature back down to 63, 64, so it dropped it 10 degrees. And I think that has a lot to do with the shad spawn. It's coming back up now, and it should they should start firing back up. I look for next week to be a full-blown good shad spawn, and the water will be clear, and that's going to be probably the best bite from there forward. We stock a lot of shad. Clayton into into ponds for for bass food. And they're they're just so prolific and and they're they're just excellent bass forage even in ponds. And, and you know a lot of folks don't realize you know threats and shad are they they're going to spawn around structure and it may not be it may not be brush piles it may be grass it may be a variety of things but they they've actually got adhesive eggs and so they're they're spitting those eggs out on on some sort of substrate on some sort of structure and uh the females and the males are coming behind them you know fertilizing the eggs and so obviously when you can find you know when you find places where the shad are spawning it's generally around some some sort of structure right right any kind of rock uh just like the rock i was talking about offshore everybody that fishes bass a good bit they've seen the shad spawn on riprap it happens the same thing offshore where you can't see the riprap sticking out of the water that's good yeah that's, that's good stuff that's good stuff right there well, man, I know you got a client with you. We don't want to keep you uh, keep you too long today, but you know one thing we do is the tip of the day. So, man, if somebody's going to come to you, follow. What's your tip, brother? Uh, I'm going to leave that this is the biggest tip I can give you coming up right now, and this is going to sound crazy except for people that like they're truly offshore fishermen. When you start to come right now, if you got a couple of days, the first day you're here, lock your rods inside your truck. I promise your second day is going to be a whole lot more fun if you do that. Uh, just being able to find and locate the brush piles and actually see fish on the ledges, and then you can go back and catch them. A bunch of people get caught up with just fishing unknown, and right now, this time of year, and as we move forward on into summer, you'll actually be able to see those fish on your graphs, and it makes it a whole lot better. That's a great tip, man. You got to know where they are before you can start fishing for them. That's good. You got to have persistence. When that offshore deal comes on, you got to have persistence. And just, I mean, you got to stay after it and idle and idle and idle. And it will reward you at the end of the day. Good deal, man. Well, good luck uh, with your with your client there. Y'all go catch some more fish. And I'll try to fight this wind a little bit. I know that's no fun. But if somebody wants to book a trip down to Ufaller to get on some big fish and and uh, and and jump in the boat with you, man, how they need to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can find me on Facebook. It's Lake Ufaller Fishing Guide, uh, Clayton Bats. Uh, go to my website. It's just www.lakeufallerfishingguide. Or if you want to, you can just give me a call, 334-310-8338. Good stuff, man. Well, y'all give Clayton a call and uh, go get in the boat with him at you fall. You'll have a lot of fun and catch a lot of fish. Clayton, be safe out there, brother. Talk to you next time. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Another good segment in Lake Eufaula. Sounds like the, sounds like Clayton's on some fish down there, Norman. Yeah, it sure does. Catching some, a lot of them, catching some good ones. And um, that's, some, that's some good information if you guys are going to Eufaula. So out of out of all the segments that we've had today, Norman, one thing we like to do is kind of talk about what what we learn. So what's your takeaway today? What did you learn? What was the key thing that you heard out of all of our fishermen today that, that really kind of stood out to you? Well, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, the first is, uh, you know, you got to pay attention to the bait. And, uh, you know, it sounds simple, but uh, you got to follow the bait, pay attention to the bait, size of the bait you know when they're spawning uh and sort of match your approach to to what the bait are doing because the bottom line is these these bass these predators are out there making a living feeding you're gonna be more successful when you target fish that are with the kind of baits that match what what they're interested in at the time and uh you know i thought the other thing that was there at the end when clayton mentioned uh uh you know spending some time idling around you know, looking for fish and looking for spots. Even David mentioned there's a lot of, lot of what we call dead water out there. You know, and uh, 
you're not going to be successful if you're fishing where the fish aren't. So these electronics that are available now, you learn to master those and use those to your advantage. You're going to catch a lot more fish. Yeah. And it's very interesting from lake to lake, the difference that you hear, because you've got Alex and Gunner's full and he's like, guys, just fish, just keeping it, just go, just fish. I mean, it's the time of year up here in Gunnersville where you just want to have a lure in the water and cover a lot of water and, and spend a lot of time fishing. And then you moved south to Eufaula and the fish is a little bit different water temperature. The fish maybe have started moving out a little for, farther. And so then the electronics and finding those those uh, brush piles and, and locating the forage uh, gets much more important. So a lot of good information today. We appreciate all those guys being on. All right, folks, that's going to be a wrap for this week's show. Please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash AFFR, and we'll send you the new show each and every week. So we appreciate it. Norman, thank you for being the co-host today, man. I'm excited about your segment. There's a lot of stuff that you can, a lot of knowledge that you have and a lot of things that you do around the whole state of Alabama to, to manage these lakes and ponds. So, man, I really appreciate you and have enjoyed you being on today. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed, enjoyed it as well. Well, we're going to do it again soon, buddy. So, all right, with that, man, that was it from the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Y'all stay tuned and uh, be sure and tell your friends about us and, and spread the word. And, and we look forward to, the, to uh, coming to you guys again each and every week. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all-natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at KillerDock.com. And also brought to you by Geico of Mobile. Give Ron Davis, your Geico agent, a call at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at Geico.com forward slash mobile dash AL. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.